The EU Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University. Welcome to the EU Futures Podcast, exploring the emerging future in Europe. I'm Olya Jordanian, an EU Futures Project Coordinator at BU Center for the Study of Europe. Today is February 23rd, and I talk to Emil Chabal, a Chancellor's Fellow in History at the University of Edinburgh. Yes, my name is Emil Chabal, and I'm a Chancellor's Fellow in History at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland, in the United Kingdom, and I work on contemporary French politics and more broadly post-war European history. What is the future emerging in Europe? A lot of the work that is being done on Europe that I find interesting stresses the idea of uncertainty. And I think that is, for me, the dominant picture of what Europe is going to become. Uh, uncertainty not because Europe was not uncertain before, but because I think the moment in which the post-war European project was born, the moment of the 1950s, the moment dominated by the Cold War, by certain cultural and intellectual debates, that moment has come to a close. And the big question now is how to redefine the European project and how to, to deepen the relationship between, I suppose, European institutions, European culture and, and Europeans will stop. It's very interesting. If you, if you can elaborate a little bit about the uh, redefining the European mm. project, how would, you, how would you imagine it? I think the European project will have to be diverse, um, not just diverse by default, because Europe is an extremely diverse place, but diverse in its very conception, so that it can support different political models, so that it can support different cultural models, um, and so that it can build a certain form of European citizenship. And it's very striking because, of course, I, I live and work in the UK, and, and Britain has recently voted to leave the European Union. And one of the, the realizations that came with that vote was a realization of everything that would be lost particularly young people, kind of people I teach, they're very worried about a world they took for granted, but a world that's about to, or potentially about to disappear. So I think we don't realize as Europeans what we have built, and that's another one of the big challenges ahead. How can you come to the point when, where you actually deliver to the people, if, you, if we don't stop here, we're going to actually lose it. We're going to lose what we have been building for more than 60 years now. The, the, the old European project that, of course, has a lot of drawbacks and shortcomings, but still there are a lot, a lot of good things about it. So how you can deliver the message that it's stop ringing what you have already built? Mm. It's very hard. Um, I think the what many scholars describe as a democratic deficit in Europe um, is not really a European thing alone. It's something that you see in a lot of other polities at a national level, disillusionment with elites, dissatisfaction with dominant economic and cultural and social narratives. 
So I think the the challenge for ahead is to sell the European project to something that's positive um, and that can provide new solutions to old problems such as inequality, such as diversity. Um, these problems have existed for a long time, but the European project has a role to play in making those problems less important than they are today. Um, you talked about democracy. So what's the role of democracy and the role of choice in emerging future in Europe? We live in an age of choice. Um, it's not possible to roll back the clock on choice. Um, whether we like it or not, we like to choose which toothpaste we buy, we like to choose which politician represents us. Um, that's very much a legacy of the social transformations of the 1950s and 60s. Uh, I don't think it's possible to go backwards. So I think that now what, um, what we need to think about is what kind of choice we make and what the consequences of those choices are. And the, the current election campaign in France is raising a lot of those issues very concretely because the French are very attached to political choice and have been for more than two centuries, um, but they are being confronted very directly with the problem of what the consequences would be for themselves and for Europe if they make what I would consider to be the wrong decision, and that is to elect Marine Le Pen to the presidency. Okay, let me continue with the, with the role of choice. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we go, go beyond elections, mm -hmm. uh, how do you see the role of choice in terms of people's ability to impact actually the future, mm -hmm. the emergence of future, beyond elections, beyond the voting mm -hmm. as the main source of choice? Yes. Um, I think the conception of choice that emerged from neoliberalism in the 1970s and 1980s was a very individualized form of choice. It was about choosing what sorts of clothes you wore, what sorts of uh, relationships you had, um, what sorts of products you consumed. That conception of choice doesn't lend itself very well to the construction of positive political platforms. So I wouldn't say that we need to get rid of all that choice, but I, I think it's not enough to build a positive political platform. So the, the, the issue for me is, is thinking about, okay, choice, but we've got to make the choice together, not simply make the choice alone. Um, we have to make choices about our collective futures, not just about our individual futures. How is it possible to achieve? How is it possible to get there? To make people, to come to the point where they are able to make these collective decisions and have the imagination of their common future and actually go there? It's very hard. Um, it's very hard because it takes a combination of political will, that is, political will on the part of a particular group, um, and it takes a great deal of patience. Uh, and again, the doctrine of choice that we live in today is not one that lends itself to patience. We want to be able to get something now. We want to be able to order a product quickly online. We also want our politicians to fix our problems very quickly. Um, I think we've lost patience. So part of the, the, this reassessment of what we mean by choice is also thinking about 
developing that patience. Concretely, it requires old-fashioned mobilization um, and organization. Those are things that have been going on for a very long time, um, and it needs a renewal of that. And it's there. You can see, you can see some of these social movements emerging. Um, you can see that some of them are vibrant. Some of them have potential to transform the way European politics works. So I don't, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily pessimistic about the future. I just find it difficult to see what it might be. So tell us a little bit about French politics. What's going on right now? It's, 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 it's on the spotlight right now after what happened in the States. Everybody's just wondering what's going to happen in France. And as, as you see, now everything seems so possible that the world is really worried about Japan. Yeah, the, I mean, France is... France is France, and when I say that, I, I mean that in, in a very historical sense. The French are very parochial about their politics. Um, I have my doubts about the impact of Brexit or of Trump or of Gerd Wilders in, in the Netherlands on the French political scene. I don't think that's what's driving the disillusionment or the, the enthusiasm for Le Pen that we're seeing. Um, If I make a prediction, I'll get it wrong, so I don't want to do that. But I think two things are really striking about this campaign. One is the strengthening and the normalization of the Front National and the Front National's candidates, um, in this case Marine Le Pen, uh, within the French political scene. And that normalization has been taking place for 30 years, um, and I think we've reached a point at which Uh, the Front National does play a substantial role in politics. Um, I do believe that the Front National is weaker than people make out, um, in particular because it is entirely dependent on elections. Between elections, there is essentially nothing. There, there are very few uh, elected officials um, who carry the Front National banner, um, and there is no real social movement behind the Front National. So it relies wholly on elections, and it, it, it stands or falls on that. Um, so that is very interesting. At the same time, there's been um, a consolidation of, of a certain kind of liberal centrism. Um, and we haven't seen that in French politics, I think, since the 1970s. So there is a return also of a kind of consensus politics, uh, which is something I look at in my own work and I think is quite important in French politics. So in that sense... It's a fairly conventional struggle between radical politics and consensus politics, which is one of the great defining features of, of modern French political culture. So it does look very uncertain, um, but I don't think it's unprecedented. In what kind of Europe would you like to live in the future? I don't know whether my, whether my opinion or my vision of Europe is, is terribly important. Um, it, it, but it is. Every single opinion and vision is important because that's what actually at one point set a precedent mm. of thinking about a future, having mm. this dream, mm. and then multiple people are going to have their dreams, and mm. <laughs> it's going to create a collective vision, and then people are going to make it happen. Mm. So that's important. You're right, and, and I suppose I'm a scholar of politics. I know that the dreams you have, they, they really matter. I'm not one of those political scientists who thinks that everything is a, is a rational choice. There's a whole lot of other things going on too. My vision of Europe for the future is as a continent that is able to think through its own past, um, starting with Europe's past, uh, the, the calamity of the 20th century, the 
the, the collapse of, of Western civilization um, and the violence that came with it. Um, my Europe is a Europe that is representative, that is democratic, and that is secular, which is not something that is necessarily shared everywhere in Europe. Um, and my vision of Europe is also as a political entity that can mediate between uh, nation states and subnational units, regional units. Um, I see uh, a bright future for what political scientists call multi-level governance. Um, I think this is not, uh, these, these are not contradictory things to have different forms of legislation at different levels. Um, but I think that it's very hard, and the, the, the European Union is a clear example of this, it's very hard to create the identification and sense of belonging with the, with the supranational union. So I think it has to be a positive vision of Europe, um, and as I said, one which embodies very much certain core values, uh, whether those are secular values, whether those are democratic values, whether those are green environmental values, um, whether those are values to do with human rights, which... Again, we can talk about whether human rights is a good paradigm, a useful one, but the fact remains it's, it's, it's a paradigm we're working with now, and I think we, we, we should find ways to defend it. So, so Europe has that, has that role for me, and that's, that's what I would like Europe to, to be. But it has to be flexible enough to accommodate dissatisfaction and to accommodate outright hostility. Um, and what worries me about Brexit is that... Uh, we're seeing the detachment of a part of Europe um, rather than the adaptation of the European project around that particular case. I'm not arguing for special circumstances for, for Britain, but uh, I do think that it's very sad that Britain and, and the British generally don't feel there's a place for them in this emerging European story. How do you think it's basically going to affect the European Union in a more long-term perspective? You know, does it this detachment, it's, it happened, so there is, we can't do anything about it really right now, but it's, it has a huge impact on Europe, on the European Union, so if you look at it at a long-term perspective, how do you see it? I, I tend to be less pessimistic than others, um, so I think that it may have a strengthening effect on certain European institutions. Um, and on and a sort of sense of European identity. Um, the, the precedent for me is the, the, the debt crisis in, in Greece. Um, what struck me about the debt crisis was not that Greece almost fell out of the Eurozone, but that um, core European countries, above all Germany, were willing to spend a very, very large amount of money to keep Greece within a political project. Um, and that suggested to me that there's quite a lot of residual strength in the European project. And I think Brexit will have the same effect of making Europeans think again about what, what unites them. And this may actually come out very concretely in the negotiations with Britain. So it's be very interesting to follow those. Um, because where Britain positions itself and then how negotiators are forced to define what they think Europe is and what they think Britain is leaving... Um, will give us a much clearer idea of where Europe might go. Is there anything I didn't ask you about, but you have thoughts you want to share about the future of Europe, about the trends that are emerging in Europe right now? 
in France, well, in Britain. In, in, in Britain. I, I think the only thing I'd, I'd want to say a little bit more about is, is young people. Um, because the future is always with young people, by definition. Um, but I think that this generation, the generation that has come of age um, around the time of the financial crisis, will have a very different perspective on the future to previous generations. And I count myself amongst that. I'm not, I'm not old, but I, I count myself amongst that older generation. I think that the kinds of social movements, the kind of protests, the kinds of mobilizations that we're seeing now um, may well have the same long-term impacts that the protests at the end of the late 1960s did um, all across the world. We're not going to see it now. It's going to take 15, 20 years to see that. But I, I'm fairly certain that um, core issues are going to become more and more important. Um, in, in future years and, and that's something that I would really want to follow and I'm very interested in. Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University, funded by a Getting to Know Europe grant from the European Commission delegation in Washington, D.C. 